I mean, I guess at the end of the day, like the way I see it and the way I think a lot of people see it is that we spend money on way more than is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an, there's a never ending line of, of ways that people want to continue to spend money that is not theirs. Welcome to Thinking on Lincoln. This is the podcast on 13th and Lincoln, talking about things on 23rd and Lincoln, among other things. I'm your host, Curtis Shelton, joined as always with Ryan Haney and our producer, Lindsay McSparren. This is episode four now, is that right? That's right. It's all downhill from here because we mm. probably peaked with the Whitlock interview. Most likely, most likely. But it was a good run. Yeah. Three whole episodes. Well, and it was so high that, you know, it was, it was such a peak that, uh, you know... Go, even if this one's not as good, it's, it could still be really good. Right, so. There's no higher than Everest. So. That's right. So uh, last week was spring break for a lot of people. Right. You took some time off. I did. Went to, to Denver. Had a oh, wedding. I was, was going to ask if you did anything. Not your own wedding, though. You didn't elope. To no, it didn't. Yeah, that, that has not happened. Yeah, good good college friend of mine went up there for a few days and hung out with quite a few people I hadn't seen in a while. It was good. It was fun. Yeah, yeah watched some basketball, which was unfortunate. Yeah, for the Oklahoma for State fans who may be listening. Basically for the state of Oklahoma Sands, ORU. <laughs> right. Yeah, good for Tulsa. Good for them. Yeah. Um, did you do anything fun while you were up there? Nothing in particular. Um, met a few people who I just hadn't, you know, just meeting friends we haven't seen in a long time, catching up with some college friends. Yeah, we did that a couple of years. Well, golly, that was uh, almost, uh, almost nine years ago. Or yeah, almost nine years ago, we went up to Colorado for a, for a wedding. I uh, I took Friday off, just one day, mm-hmm. but I still had to do some work on that day. And take the kids anywhere fun? No, they had some friends over that day, and so they were they were doing that. And uh, yeah, I thought about it, but it was kind of it was cold that day, so I thought about it. I thought, well, it'd be kind of fun to. Uh, to go somewhere fun. Now I did. It was because it was such a slow day at the Capitol. I did take my daughter up to the Capitol with me on Wednesday. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot going on, and she really wanted to see it. So we went up there. Uh, Senator Julie Daniels was kind enough to take her out onto the floor and you know let her tap the gavel up at the uh, presiding. Indoctrinating her early, I see. Yeah, for yeah. sure. She, uh, my daughter, she's eight. She's a big fan of uh, Congresswoman Bice. She got she okay. she went and sat in in her old seat. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a unique interest for an eight year old, but impressive. Well, um, got got her high, high, uh, set high. That's right. That's right. So yeah, I, th- I think uh, if she was a little older and lived in a, lived somewhere else, I think she'd be running for that seat right now. Wow. Well, good luck to her. Well, can't wait to vote for. her. Yeah, well, you'd probably have to move too. Fair enough. So that was, but that was fun. We had a good time, and um, it was funny when she was she was walking around with with Senator Daniels. I was sort of back in in her office, just hanging out, and uh, they came back. She said, "Oh yeah, she got to meet the floor leader." I'm like, I haven't even met, even met the floor leader, <laughs> which I have now. I I went okay. and met with her on Tuesday of this week, so mm-hmm. I have now. But I was like, well, goodness gracious, she's met people that I haven't even met. Making connections, networking. Yep. Yep, she had a great time. She she loved it, and That's of course, great. like 
For those who don't know, the renovations up at the Capitol are really, really impressive. It's, it was pretty cool just to see the look on her face when we walked into that fourth floor uh, rotunda and you look up at the dome because it's, it's just really cool. I mean, I think as adults, we get desensitized to just beautiful architecture and stuff like that. Right. And, and kids... Seeing it through their eyes is just really, really neat. Yeah, and you really don't have a ton of that here in Oklahoma. I mean, there's just not, you know, a ton of buildings around. I mean, Oklahoma City's got a few. Tulsa's got a few, but by and large, yeah, you know, the you're uni- not going to experience that here in the I state. I think the the state universities have really great architecture, typically. Right. Um, but other than that, yeah, there isn't there isn't just a ton of that. Some of the, some of the older churches have really impressive yeah. architecture. Um, but yeah. No, you're right. That we're just not that that old of a state, right? Well, uh, you want to talk about some tax policy? Yeah, I guess that's why we're here, huh? Yeah. So, Speaker of the House wants to cut the corporate income tax, right? Thoughts? I think it's a good idea. So you know, OCPA obviously, by and large, advocates for lower tax burden. So it's hard to say that we'd ever be against a tax decrease we th- i think it could be i think we could do more but it's certainly a good place to start um we can go through kind of the reasons why obviously but yeah so what what do you what do you uh what do you think about doing more what, what do you mean by that well i think oklahoma could really benefit from just a broad tax reform just change and when people talk about taxes it's almost always about the rates right is it too high is it too low but the Honestly, one of the bigger issues is just how we tax things, what the structure is, what we're taxing, and why. Mm-hmm. So I think if we were able to do kind of a broad-based reform, it could help the state out quite a bit, put it on a much more pro-growth trajectory than it is now. And so, so talk about that, because the Speaker of the House has basically said, and he's from Southern Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, so he's in banking. I, don't, I think he has some, some either, either some banks or other business interests that also operate in Texas. Right. Uh, Texas is, you know, one of a handful of states that has no income tax whatsoever, corporate or otherwise. Right. Um, and it seems like the point he's been making is that to compete for 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 new businesses, cutting the corporate income taxes is the thing to do. Um, am I wrong that we think? Or that you think mm-hmm. it's it's more than just the corporate income tax. Yeah, well, you can see it looking at the data shows that really it's actually the in- individual income tax rate that is the biggest driver of growth. Okay, um, it's going to affect the most people, and that's that's kind of where you want to get out with tax policy. You want it to be you want it to be broad. The narrower it gets, is the, the less impact it's going to have, and the harder it is to kind of control or predict what's actually going to happen. Yeah, so are are you basing that on that there the fact that there are some states I think Tennessee up until this year has had no individual income tax, but they did have a corporate income tax. Right. I think did that get phased out this year? Do you know? I believe that I thought I had heard that. We can double check um, that for the but, ten, but Tennessee has seen a lot of growth as well. Maybe maybe right. not to the same extent as, as Texas, but right. and a we can, lot of businesses moving to Tennessee. Right. And you hear about Florida. <laughs> Um, and even and people just, may hear that and think we're just talking about red states, but you see it in Oregon and Washington as well. Okay, Particularly right. Washington, a state that doesn't have any income tax, has seen massive growth. Nevada, 
again, another state with massive growth. We can talk about the numbers at some point if we want, but I don't know if people want to hear me spout numbers all day. Well, and I think it's, it is important to note that, that this is an important issue because, you know, it seems like every couple of years we have to have a, a conversation about taxing the oil and gas industry. <clears throat> and that's partly because we're so dependent on oil and gas in this state. And so there, mm-hmm. it's, I hear a lot about how we need to, we'd like to have a, a more diverse economy than being so reliant on oil and gas. Right. Uh, and I think your point is that the best way to do that, and I think this is Speaker McCall's point as well, is that the way to do that is to attract new businesses to come into Oklahoma because right. of income tax issues. Right. So I, that having set the stage that way, go back to what you were talking about a minute ago mm-hmm. about explain to the folks who don't know, because I mean, including myself, um, and again, you have to explain – you know, when you're using numbers, you have to explain it like I'm in first grade. Right. Um, what are we doing now, and and what are some reforms that we could do to change, like you were saying, what we tax and how we tax it? Right. So right now, Oklahoma's individual income tax is at the the highest bracket is five percent, and there's obviously that phases down. I believe it's a one percent increase at each income bracket, and then our State sales tax rates, 4.5%. Obviously, we're paying local and county rates as well on top of that. Mm-hmm. Those are the two two broadest tax rates. And then, obviously, Oklahoma has a varying amount of taxes. Like you mentioned, the gross production tax. We've right. got taxes on cigarettes and certain and the, activities yeah, the gross, like that. The gross production tax, that's the tax on oil and gas. Oil and gas, right, right, for those who don't know, right. So we have kind of a, a broad array. There's all sorts of other taxes that we can mention. Um, maybe different fees on certain services, like when you go to the the DMV and you pay a tag fee, they may not call that a tax, but it's a revenue raiser. That's the word they like to use down at the Capitol sometimes whenever they don't want to mention tax increases. Right. Um, but essentially what the most ideal tax structure would be the simplest you can have. So the fewest taxes you have with the broadest base and the lowest rate, that's what we think would be, would spur the most growth. Okay. So what does that look like? So that what we what we that, that to me that was like word salad. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. So that would essentially, we talk about broad base. That means you're taxing the most activity or the most people all at once, which means it's the fairest because not some people like with the gross production tax. That's just an ind- industry specific tax on oil and gas. I see. If you're you know a grocery store, you're not paying that. If you're a barbershop, you're not paying that. If you're a tech company, you're not paying that. That's just on a certain sector. And the problem with that is, one, you're impacting economic activity. You're essentially saying this, I mean, when you tax something, you're raising the cost, which means you're going to have less of that as if, if you weren't taxing it. Mm-hmm. That's just simple supply and demand. The higher the price, the higher the cost, the less people want of that. Right. Whatever right. that is. So when you do that, you're essentially picking you know, winners and losers through the tax code based off what it is you're taxing. So to avoid that, you'd want to have the broadest base. So like an income tax or a sales tax essentially affects what it, you know, whatever it is you buy, you're paying a sales tax. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is you earn, you're paying an income tax. That one makes it more predictable. It's not going to change a lot of people's decisions as much as it might. It's not going to cause some people to do you know, X versus Y. Right, and it diversifies. That was, the word, diversifies. I, that was the word I was looking for right. a while ago because if the price of oil goes 
down to a certain a certain number and there's no production then all of that gross production revenue that you were expecting and mm-hmm. and relying on is is gone right and you're seeing that you've been seeing that so many times in Oklahoma specifically I mean 2015 we had the massive state recession mostly caused by oil and gas downturns there were cries for more revenue most of that was on the fact that we weren't taxing oil and gas enough supposedly we raised those rates up and then people you know we had the economy recovered. We had more revenue for state government. People attributed that mostly to the gross production tax, which is relatively true as far as just you know static numbers speaking. But then you're seeing it this year. Oklahoma's revenues were down, and the gross production tax was a large attributor to that. So it's it's the most volatile revenue source we have. It's very hard to predict. And the problem with that is it makes budgeting very hard. Imagine if you're making your own personal budget, and you think you're going to have, you know, $30,000 in income this year, but instead you have 45. You may have no idea what to do with that money. You may use it on, you may not save it. You may use it on whatever. So the next year you're like, okay, I had 45. Maybe I'm going to have 40, but instead you have 25 all of a sudden. Right. Yeah. To run with that analogy, it's kind of like individuals or families who have to budget and they have a job, say, in sales, and they they make money on commissions. Mm-hmm. And so it's not impossible, but it is more difficult, and it requires more in savings because because you may have a, a down year, right? And so in the in the in the good years, you have to stock stuff away for the lean years, uh, which is one of the reasons why the governor, I think, wants to put so much in savings because right. you know if if tax revenue is volatile and could easily go down in a given year, it makes sense to have something in reserve so that you don't have to have as many cuts to core services. Right. right? Yeah. And savings. Yeah. We're, we're, we've been supportive of that idea and in an economy like Oklahoma's, it's so cyclical. It's so independent on one industry. You need those. It's so volatile, but in an ideal world, you wouldn't want savings. You don't want taxpayers paying money that you're then just sitting on. In Oklahoma, we need it. We obviously, it proved very beneficial whenever the COVID situation happened and we had all this money to where we didn't have to cut services by a drastic amount. But ideally, if you could predict, by and large, how much money you're going to have, you're not going to need that excess revenue, right. and you could essentially put that back in the economy through a tax cut. Right. It, yeah, right. You can have... Uh, you, can, you can operate with, with less savings. And that's... I mean, I think that's what... Again, not to over to overuse this sort of simplistic analogy, but I mean the reality is that family good you know take two families that are both good budgeters. The family that is reliant on uh, sporadic income, uh, like say someone who has a commission job, mm-hmm. they're just going to need to have more in savings than the than the family that that, that doesn't. Right, um, and so that's just sort of. I think prudence 101. So it, let me ask you this, because I think we've talked about this before, um, but this is sort of your your bread and butter. Is the individual income come tax the same in the sense that it is also more volatile than some other types of income or some other types of revenue? Right. Yeah, it is. If you the the data, you can look at all sorts of research papers that show essentially the income tax is more volatile than the sales tax and property taxes essentially consumption taxes. Um, part of that is 
people are more likely to respond to income tax changes. Just when I mean, you're looking at your paycheck, that hurts a lot more seeing all that money go away than it does when it's little increments at a time when you're buying products through a sales tax. Um, wait, now, so are you saying that, uh, wait, uh, people will make, deci- so people will make decisions to lower their income tax more often. So essentially if people have an option to lower their income tax liability, they're going to take it. It's oh, harder to do I that. See. The sales tax and the property tax, you essentially have to pay what you have to pay, but the income tax based off of people's circumstances, whether that's, you know, investment losses, um, they're going to do what they can to write off as much income tax liability as you can. And it's hard for a government to predict that, which makes it a lot more volatile. It's going to shift up and down. Right. Or even, right. So no, that's a great, okay. I see what you're saying. And it responds to the economy a lot faster than a sales tax and a property tax would. Right. So there are ways that I can lower my tax liability through the income tax, right? I can contribute to a 401k, which is taken out. Right. I mean, you know, pre-tax, it's, it's, uh, you can do, you know, like we have an HSA here. Right. So I put, I put as much as I can into the HSA because, you know, that's money that I can spend on health related, uh, uh, expenses that I didn't have to pay taxes on, uh, or that lowered, you know, that lowered my tax liability as well. So I see what you're saying. So people will take advantage of those kind of things, which I think are great. Right. Yeah. We're not saying don't. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, people should do that. Uh, but, from the state's perspective, uh, it's just much harder to do that um, at the grocery store or... Right, yeah, you can't obviously write off things like that. And a lot of those income tax issues are timing issues. And people, you you know, in recessions, the income tax, people's losing their jobs, the first you know, thing to go is their income. So the income tax is going to change faster and dra- more drastic than sales tax are and, and uh, down cycles. Right. Okay. Right. So, so it would be, so are you saying it would be better than if we, if we relied more on sort of consumption taxes? What about property taxes? That, right. That's kind of a hot button issue. Yeah. In People in Oklahoma certainly don't love paying their property taxes. It's shown to be a lot more stable. We do think Oklahoma pays some of the lowest property taxes in the nation. If you had an ideal world, you don't actually, if you had the right structure, you may not need higher property taxes in Oklahoma. That may be something we have to look at to okay. reduce the income tax burden, which we think is the the key driver to growth. But the, while it is more stable, it's obviously going to be, people may like it more because it's more progressive. People with higher incomes are going to be more likely to own property, which we can well, talk about whether or not we should have a progressive tax I mean, structure. There's certainly debate on that. Ultimately, that doesn't matter, though, right? right. Because you're going to pass it on to whoever's renting or utilizing that property. Right. If, if you can do that, obviously, it depends on if you're renting it out or not. Right. You could, you could technically own a piece of land that you're paying property taxes on that is just sort of sitting right. there. Right. Like, because the, the, the biggest you know, property tax are the people paying, maybe not the most in a dollar amount, but we have so much you know, agriculture here. And right. But those people aren't necessarily renting out, you know, apartments or rental houses. They're True, using that land. They're paying property tax on that. But as an as a urban dweller, I I tend to forget right that. So that's yeah, that's point. usually where the the biggest pushback comes from any sort of property tax debates is from kind of the more rural side of it because they're the ones who can't essentially offset that with any sort of 
rental raises or things like that. Um, but again, like I said, stability is so important and the goal really would be to get to a place where I mean, one, you always have to couple tax reform with spending reform. It just has, you saw it in mm-hmm. Kansas. It's such a big risk if you make these drastic changes and you don't reform spending. You're just, you're going to end up with what the federal government has essentially the mass, massive deficit and states just aren't allowed to have deficit spending. So you right. have to couple it with reform. So if we were able to adjust our spending appropriately, we could get to a place where we're relying on sales tax primarily for our revenue. We have a small income a property tax, which is going to primarily benefit the local, you know, schools, school districts. That's where, cause that's where all the property tax money is going. It's all local. None of it's going to go to the state and people can predict that it's going to be stable. You can rely on it and it's not going to distort economic activity in nearly the same way the income tax will, or any of these kind of narrower, like the cigarette tax, like the oil and gas tax. It's not going to distort people's economic activity nearly as much. And the tax code's going to be simpler. If you get rid of all these exemptions and credits that we have through the income tax, it's going to be simpler. There's going to be a lot less need for, you know, paperwork. The costs are going to go down on all sorts of tax filing stuff. If all you have to do is report the income. Right. And that's all you have to do. Essentially, you know, there's no tax to be paid. You just need to report what it is you're doing. Hmm. Okay. So have you looked much at the, uh, the Biden bailout bonanza? As, yeah, as we started to go there. come through that a little bit. Okay. It's for those who don't know, it, it is we've written about this a little bit, but any discussion on tax reform would essentially end with the acceptance of this this money. There's a caveat in the bill, the American Rescue Plan that they're passing that would essentially ban states from using the federal money to offset any tax cuts they make. Uh-huh. Um, and the language is so broad, it essentially would prohibit states from doing any sort of tax cut because it's so hard to prove that you didn't offset that money somewhere because money's fungible. Right. So you may say you took money from from the growth or whatever, from the growth, but to prove that would be so hard um, that it would essentially create. And because that's the argument that I've heard from my friends on the, on the left is, mm -hmm. well, we've got $600 million in uh, excess revenue that we can use to fund those tax cuts. I mean, ignoring the fact that there's going to be a push to put a lot of that in savings and the other fact that there's going to be a thousand hands reaching out for that money. Right. Um, you're saying that, you know, because money is fungible, uh, proving that you didn't use the stimulus funds uh, or if that's what you want to call it, to, right. to fund a tax cut would be difficult. Or rather, maybe the better way to say it is like it would be all too easy to show how, like on the books, it was used to fund a tax cut. Right. And this is sort of I've been I've I have used this this line of thinking before, like with with respect to the abortion debate. So like you will hear people say, well, um, you know, no federal dollars that go to Planned Parenthood fund abortions. It's like, well, that sort of ignores the fact that money is fungible, right? Like, um, and so, yeah, no, I get that. I I hadn't thought, well, I had kind of thought about that, but I just, I guess I assumed, and I have not, I've not read the, the act, but I sort of assumed that, that it was a little more clear cut that you pretty much had to see a, maybe a direct correlation and not just a, 
because this is also what happened with respect to the lottery, right? I mean, and I know this was sort of before our our time, right? But you know, this was sort of pitched as well. All this money from the lottery is going to go into education, and it all did. The mm-hmm. problem is, it just supplanted other money, right? Yeah. And so they were able to divert money away that was already being spent on education. So there was no net increase in education spending. It just sort of supplanted it so that we could spend that money elsewhere. Right. Yeah. They pulled money from the general general fund and used it elsewhere because they could replace it with this lottery money. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that. That is not a new. That's not a new thing. No. No. And yeah, the. I've read into it. I could read more into it for sure. I need to, but the way the the bill works, the money that Oklahoma would get if they accept it has to be spent by 2024. So this essentially would last for three years as well, which is also another issue banning any sort the legislature from doing anything that they would like to do in regards to taxes for three years. And it has to be documented in a way that you can track how the money was spent. And do you find it, is it a coincidence that it basically says you can't do it through the next election? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. How ironic that we can't do anything uh, tax cut wise until there's another presidential election. Right. That is. It's fascinating. Fascinating, yeah. isn't it? I'm. I'm shocked that that is the date. Uh. Yeah. So that. So that's problematic. Um. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought because I, mean, I was actually talking with somebody. Well, I've talked with a couple people about this about just using sort of the growth uh, to fund any kind of tax cut you wanted to to do whether that was an actual tax cut to people or you know like increasing the Oklahoma scholarship fund or like putting an elevator on on that right is that what is that is that did I use that right the OSF yeah the Oklahoma Oklahoma Equal Opportunity Scholarship yeah something like that yeah it's it's essentially a tax credit so it's considered it would be considered a tax cut right that's what people are saying right now there's there's a lot of questions about how broad is this going to be, but right now people are operating under the assumption that it's going to include pretty much any sort of decrease in tax revenue, whether yeah. that's an actual rate cut or if it's an exemption or a credit or what have you. And just so I think people understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I, this is something that we would like to see expanded, that there is a, a scholarship fund that people can contribute to. Uh, and they receive a tax break if they contribute to it. Right. And then students can apply for those scholarship funds to attend a school other than their government school that corresponds with their zip code. Right. And so we would like to see the cap on that raise. Right now, you can only get a tax credit up to a certain amount, right? Right. And we would like to see, I mean, frankly, we'd like to see an elevator put on that so that you know, so long as revenues increase, it would increase as well. Right. Okay. And so that, because it is a tax credit, you know, there's a question about whether or not we would even be able to do something like that if we took the Biden bailout bonanza funds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's where that's kind of where we're at. And, yeah, a lot of questions up in the air. And you're saying that even though we have some some funds already there that we could use to fund tax cuts. If we did that, and then we used the federal funds for, say, something that we could have used that six hundred million on, mm-hmm. um, the federal government or, or whoever, somebody's going to come in and say, "Hey, wait a minute! We told you you couldn't do that, and you just supplanted these funds this, <laughs> the same way you did the lottery in education." Right. That's some people are arguing that we we could be able to do that, but it, it like I said, the language is so broad that you could I'd drive be hesitant. A Mack truck through it. Right. I'd be hesitant to 
to assume the federal government's going to be okay with that, especially, I mean, it'd be so hard to prove that, you know, like how you have, you know, a dollar for dollar amount on the money that we had in growth went to, you know, tax cuts. And we used all of this money, every dollar for dollar for this program. It'd be so hard to, to document that properly. And it, it essentially would be just be up to the administration or the federal government to decide it, are we going to take this or not? And then if you don't, what happens then, you know, are we repaying money all of a sudden are we, how's the penalty going to work? Yeah. Um, okay. So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. You're working on a proposal that you would like to see, uh, implemented here in the state. Are you at liberty to share that proposal with the people, with our listeners? We can, I think we can, in a broad strokes, probably we're still okay. working want, on some of the, do you the want to modeling. Give us, do you want that. to give us some broad sure. strokes? We've already talked about a lot of the kind of the ideas, but okay. the goal essentially would be to eliminate the income tax. How? Cause that was a question we were talking about right before. Right. Yeah. So some States, um, like Mississippi and currently maybe has, maybe pro- this, maybe we're getting beyond broad strokes now. Well, so. we can, we can talk about this a little okay. bit. Um, Mississippi, uh, for those who may not be aware, is proposing to eliminate their income tax, not through rate cuts, but through expanding the personal income tax exemption, which essentially accomplishes the same thing. People aren't paying the income tax, but it does it in a different way. Um, that, all, that proposal is also making its way through the Oklahoma legislature to reduce the personal income tax through expanding the personal income tax exemption. Um, the merits of that, whether or not it's better, I honestly can't say at the time. I have I don't think I've ever heard of anybody doing it that way before. So whether or not it works better than cutting the rate, I'm not sure. I have questions on, it just seems a little bit more complex than maybe we need it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does accomplish the same thing by and large. So our proposal would eliminate the income tax by cutting rates down to zero. We would then, it's a revenue neutral plan. So for those who may be afraid that we're going to ruin the state budget, don't worry there will be a proposed increase in the sales tax. Um, re- would there be an expansion in sales tax? Right. We would also be looking to expand it to, to a broader range of services as well. Um, like I said, essentially getting the sales tax to treat all activity equally. Um, and some people may be upset about, you know, certain things that aren't taxed now may be taxed. Yeah. Sorry, lawyers. Right. But yeah, those poor lawyers, <laughs> but yeah, it would expand the sales tax to a broader range of services. Um, we would exempt groceries from that is the plan. Um, and then, and that's, and that's to make up for the fact that it's no longer a progressive income tax. Right. Essentially. Yeah. Okay. So that would be, that, that, that's the, uh, the broad ideas. There's still some details we're trying to work out as to far as, as far as what we want to might there accomplish. Also, might there also be some other, uh, tax relief for, you know, very low income people. Right. We, we've been, and the reason I'm at mm-hmm. for, for maybe those who don't pay attention to tax policy of which I'm kind of one, I mean, I, I will see an article and, and immediately text Curtis to ask him about it. So you know, the way it is done now, people in very low income brackets pay nothing in income tax or very little. Right. I mean, right. depending on exactly how much they make. Right. So the idea is that if you get rid of the income tax, and change to a consumption tax, mm. uh, you know, very poor people spend almost all of the money that they make. Right. Well, I mean, that's probably a misnomer. Savings they, harder to do with yeah, less income. Right. They don't save, uh, if, if any money, they don't save as much. And so they're spending almost 100% of their income. So if you're taxing their consumption, now all of a sudden they're paying more taxes than what, than what they 
otherwise would. Now we're we're talking about exempting groceries, which mm-hmm. is a pretty large line item right. on a on a uh, a poor a a, a poor family's budget. Mm-hmm. Um, might there be other some other tax relief uh, for for folks in those low income brackets? Right. Yeah. We're also working on the idea of a sales tax rebate, essentially. So um, we, we're still working on you know income levels and things like that and how sure, much sure. exactly. But the idea would be for those in the low income tax brackets who are paying now more in sales tax would essentially see a rebate. Um, yeah. So to provide a little bit more relief on top of the the sales tax exemption for groceries. Um, like, like I said, we're still working on the levels for what that would be, but that's in the works as well. Okay. Very cool. Anything else we want to talk yeah. about as far as taxes? I do want to mention, we may shift this to a different part of the, the discussion, but I was gonna, so I went to a, I wanted to ask you about this. I went to a turning point event, turning point USA event oh, yeah, that's a right. few days ago and they had some booths outside and one of the booths had a bunch of posters and one of them I saw said taxation is theft, which seemed very popular yeah. among the crowd. A lot of people were grabbing that one. And I wanted to ask you, cause we may have some listeners who may be hearing about this tax reform and are just saying, you know, what are we doing with this whole revenue neutral stuff? Why don't we just get rid of all taxes uh-huh. in general? And I've always, for those who may see themselves as a lot more libertarian and do believe taxation is theft. I was interested in your thoughts on that idea. If you have any. Well, that's a good question. Because this is one of those areas that I really go back and forth on. Um, It's a good question. So, yeah, I mean, historically, I have been a taxationist theft guy. Uh, I subscribe to the Bastiat theory of, you know, legal plunder. Okay. The government shouldn't be able to do... Uh, what I couldn't do to you, you know, I'm not allowed to rob you and give your money to Lindsay, mm-hmm. um, much as she might appreciate that. Sure. Uh, so, you know, if that is wrong, which I believe it is, uh, the government ought not be able to do that as well. But then you've got the Marodes people. Um, what about Marodes? Mm-hmm. And I and look, I mean, I think that those as <laughs> libertarians give those people an endless amount of grief. But I think that they're right. Like, I mean, there are some services that we share in common. Um, you know, but so I'll tell you, for instance, there are, there are some things where it just makes sense to collectively pool our money together to make it work for everybody. So like water is one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it makes sense that we have a monopoly on on that because you can't really open that up to a market right because there is there is no the infrastructure necessary to get water to my house uh, cannot be accomplished it's not like broadband internet or cable um, or even electricity I mean we're talking about lines that are buried in the ground that mm-hmm. come up from underneath my house uh, to provide me with water Um so, you know, police is, is the same way, you know, I mean, it just doesn't make sense for us all to go out and hire, um, you know, our own sort of auxiliary police forces. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, like the roads thing is like probably less so, um, okay. you know, I mean, so I've got a friend who has a cabin out near Locust Grove. 
Um, and back in the 20s, a bunch of you know rich oilies kind of developed this. Uh, at the time, it was kind of like a campsite. Like they were sort of like modest little cabins. Okay. Since then, you know, their descendants have torn down the modest cabins and built massive lake houses and that sort of thing. Right. But I mean, they paid for the road out to their site. I mean, that wasn't the the state didn't you know, foot the bill for that. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's I mean, that's actually less important than other things like police and and water service and things of that nature. Right. That do require a massive infrastructure and you can't just change it on a dime. Right. Um, so I think it's a, it's one of those sort of clever slogan. Well, it's not, I don't know that it's altogether clever, but it's a slogan. I mean, it's a cliche, uh, it, but like most cliches, there's some truth to it. I mean, mm-hmm. there is, um, I remember seeing somebody, somebody posted a meme couple years ago uh using sort of like the animated robin hood as like a reason for taxing the rich Mm, like the the lion king john fox okay yeah yeah Yeah. robin Hood was a fox and little Mm -hmm. john is a bear and one of the the better disney movies in my opinion it really well it's dave bond's favorite disney movie like i mean he his dave bond is of the opinion that the animated Robin Hood is the greatest Disney film of all time that it teach ch- teaches children to hate taxes. Should we and, have an OCPA viewing party at some point? We probably should. Listeners can come. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Or yeah, no, that would be great. I would love that. Um, it's got a, it's got some really great music in it too. Um, yeah, it's great. But I mean, I pointed out to this, to this person that shared this. I was like, well, look like he wasn't robbing from the rich to give to the poor. He was robbing from the government to give back to the poor who they who who, who the government had stolen from via taxes. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, like the way I see it and the way I think a lot of people see it is that we spend money on way more than is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an there's a never ending line of of ways that people want to continue to spend money that is not theirs. Whether that's free college for everyone, which is a terrible idea, uh, free uh, childcare, which I think is a terrible idea. All these sorts of things. It's not to say that there's not room for a safety net. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I do think there there is there's plenty of room for a safety net you know i'm not one of those people who's like well we just need to rely on private charities and faith-based organizations to provide for that kind of care um but there is certainly i will say this to to the extent that to the extent that that slogan is is care is picking up steam it's because of just sort of the massive like bloating of right which i can understand the pushback on yeah i mean i don't think people have a problem so much with I really don't think people have a problem with taxes. I think people have a problem with the spending. They see how it's spent. They see the waste. They see the cronyism. They see the bailouts. They see um, the pork. And yeah, they'd like to see their tax liability go down. Um, But it's not primarily, I don't think, because they don't want to help people, um, but, but they don't want to provide perverse incentives. 
right? Right. I, I think that's a big that's a big deal. Like that's one of the things you and I were talking about this the other day. I think one of the things we have to stop doing almost as soon as possible, especially in states like ours, where you know tomorrow we're opening up the vaccine the vaccine to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't and I don't think we have it here to be honest with you, but I don't know. But these states and the way the federal government is sort of supplementing unemployment benefits has to stop because as the stimulus money comes in and as uh, demand for products and services ramps up, if we cannot meet the supply, we're going to have massive amounts of inflation. Right. Um, You know, if, if everybody wants to go out and buy... Well, shoot, I, I just recently purchased a gun. I'll use that as an example. If everyone wants to go buy, you know, ammunition, which this is a big thing right now, mm-hmm. uh, and there's none to be had because the manufacturers aren't haven't been making anything for a year, and nobody's getting back to into those plants to to ramp up supply because it's easier to just sort of collect unemployment, and maybe there are some people that are making more money on unemployment than they were making at their job um, because of this supplemental unemployment income. Um, you know we're going to see massive inflation if we can't and I just think it's better to get people back to work not just not just because you know oh I don't want to I don't want to you know supplement someone's lifestyle of sort of sitting around and not not doing anything but like for their own benefit and providing you know dignity that comes with work I think all that's really important so right uh, yeah and I mean that's the whole idea behind, you know, a tax restructuring. It's not to, you know, be greedy and just keep more own money. The whole idea is to empower people to make their own decisions, you know, to give them control over their own life, not to be dependent on others. Essentially, it's to grow the economy, give people more opportunity, more options, and give them the power to, you know, control their own fate rather than just... Right have to rely on others to provide. Well, and the diversification thing, I really don't think can be overstated. I mean, we see this... I mean, how many tech companies did we see at the end of 2020 move from California to Texas? Now, look, there's different parts of it, right? So, you know, I'm going to... If I didn't say this, I would get beat up by friends who are who are big proponents of, of education spending. Uh, if you look at the top universities for uh, MIT... Uh, mm-hmm. or not MIT, MIS, MIS programs. Right, which MIT could be one. I honestly have no idea. Well, I'm sure it is. Um, but MIS programs, you've got three in the state of Texas. You got, I think it was A&M, University of Texas, and then maybe like Dallas Baptist was a third one. So, I mean, you've got some really great institute, like institutions of higher education in Texas, especially Rice, Texas, A&M. I mean, those are three really good schools for engineering and and uh it's like stem fields right so you know i mean it we talk about like tesla coming like potentially coming to oklahoma well where is elon musk going to recruit engineers from i mean we're graduating a few from some of the from, from 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 some of our flagship institutions um but uh but there are other issues besides the income tax. But it's hard to ignore that it's not you know it's not just Texas. People are moving to Florida. People are moving to Tennessee. Um, both of those states have some some great institutions as well as as far as uh, um, preparing people to work in some of those fields. Um, but I just think that uh, 
it's it, it is really important. People say they want to diversify the economy, but I don't really hear a whole lot of solutions. And to me, this is the best solution I've heard. Right. And you know, you've looked into the how many walks mm-hmm. is it howmanywalks.com and yeah, there's that's a right. book also. Mm-hmm. People should check that out and we can put we can put a link in the show notes to how many walks. Um but it's pretty obvious. I mean, you see money right. migrating. It's so clear. It, it really, it's we. It's how it. It's called how money walks, but it's really how people and their income and their investments walk. Right. Right. I mean, that's. It's not just that money is coming into these places. It's that jobs and businesses and investment in things other than, you know, oil and gas. Which I don't. I'm not an oil and gas hater. No, no, at no all. Means. Um. You know, I'm hoping that we get the rig count back up, but at the same time, like, let's get some let's get some tech companies right. and, some and that's that's kind of my argument. A lot of times, I mean, I was talking to some friends when I was up in Denver who lean a different direction than I do politically. For those who may have a problem with oil and gas and thinking that the solution is just to tax it more, if you really want to change the way that we, you know, our energy infrastructure works, the idea is to to have more ideas, more innovation. Yeah. And to do that, you want to bring, be bringing people in, bringing different companies who are doing different things and really spur the growth in different industries, not just to penalize one when you have no other alternative. Right. I, I heard Dan Crenshaw talking about this once. You know, in many ways, Houston is sort of the oil and gas capital of the world. But he was telling me about a, they have a, uh, there's someone down in Houston that has sort of, I don't want to say perfected, but they've improved upon like carbon capture technology so that like when the carbon is released sort of in the air. So you're not only looking at having a positive impact on, uh, you know, the climate change aspect of all this, but they're also able to like sort of recycle that and reuse it again for energy. So, you know, you're recycling, you're, uh, you're doing a better job with, you know, sort of utilizing the, the limited resources we have and that's and that is happening again, like in what many would consider to be the oil and gas capital. Well, maybe not in the world anymore, but I mean certainly the United States. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that the let's make Oklahoma a an attractive place for someone who wants to uh, be an innovator to come and invest and you know hire our grads. Right. Um, all of that is, and that'll all have a cyclical effect, right? I mean, that'll, um, if if people feel like you know there's opportunity here, they'll stay here. I don't know what it was like at OSU, but at OU, it was like half the students at OU are actually from Texas. No, it was the same. And I think most of them go back. I don't think I know anybody who actually stayed uh, who's from Texas. I think I have a few. I know a few, um, but they're the exception, right? And and. There's more to that than just sort of economic opportunity, right? right? I mean, Obviously, like if your family's from there, I, you know that happens. I right, get, I, I get that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think that there's a there's a lot of opportunity out there, and by it just it's sort of interesting to me that we have this supermajority in the legislature that isn't really interested in doing very many actual conservative reforms. So hopefully they'll maybe they'll listen to this podcast. Here's to hoping and change their mind. We yeah, should, we should send this to the the speaker and everybody else. What do you think about that, Lindsay? Can we send that around? She says, "All yes. right, great, Let's well. do it." Um, 
one more thing before we go. Yeah. Or a couple, I should say a couple more things before okay. we go. Um, so this was kind of a drier tax policy episode. Don't let that, nothing's changed. Still five-star reviews only. Um, uh, any negative comments, email uh, Curtis at Curtis at OCPAthink.com. Uh, .org. .org, that's right. Gosh. And then also, last time we had Whitlock on, we sort of teased who we were going to give the citizenship award to. I think we're now at liberty to say who we are giving the citizenship award to. If we can't, we can cut this. But, right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we will be giving the citizenship award to Betsy DeVos. Right. So she'll be in town. It'll yeah. be a good time. Uh, very few people have done as much as she's done for school choice, uh, particularly in her home state of Michigan. She took just an endless amount of grief uh, from you know the unions and whatnot. So very deserving. I look forward to that. What an awesome night to, to give her an award, give her a few minutes to just sort of accept that and then also listen to to Whitlock talk, um, you know, we already gave the people a preview of that, so. Right, yeah, everybody's ready to go. Very exciting things on the horizon. Yeah, can't wait to, to talk about that more. All right. Hope y'all enjoyed. Later. Later.